Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. Guest speakers are not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial or Gateway Financial Partners. Content provided is for general information only and not specific advice. No strategy assures success. Delivering financial professionals' insights, thoughts, and cutting-edge strategies from industry leaders on how to build your most successful practice with the freedom of independence. Live from Gateway Financial Partner Studio at our Connecticut headquarters, we bring you Insights for Independence with your hosts, David Wood and S.J. Whittemore. Well, hello and welcome to today's edition of Insights for Independence. I'm David Wood. And I'm S.J. Whittemore. S.J., how are you today? I'm doing great. And yourself, David? I'm great. I'm so excited about our guest today. So this is just to show you what a small industry this is. It's a it's a reconnection after 20 years. How awesome is that? 20 years is a hay of a long time, even in this industry. I know. It just shows how old I am. <laughs> so I am very excited to have Matt Newman uh, with us today. Matt, say hello. Hey, how we doing? I'm doing great. So Matt, uh, Matt and I, we, we were just reconnecting before we started the podcast. I think it's been 20 years since we've seen each other. Probably about that, yeah. It's incredible, huh? It's amazing. Time goes so quickly. It really does. So Matt is a uh, one of the things I guess we have in common with our with our host from last week uh, last week's podcast is Matt is a two time TEDx speaker and uh, a author and has done just all sorts of cool things in our industry and I can't wait to uh, to kind of dig into those with you today. So so Matt, welcome and uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, what you're doing today, and tell us what you've done for the last uh, last ten years or twenty years since we've connected. Yeah, it's funny how you learn some of the greatest lessons in life at some of the deepest and darkest times. And we often have lessons that are put into us at younger ages, and they don't make sense till we go through these difficult times. I was very fortunate. My father was a financial advisor when I grew up, and my mother was a teacher. I grew up outside New York City in northern Jersey. So I had two completely different perspectives on education. One was the basis of education, of going to college, getting degrees, learning from my mother. But for my father, it was learning the basics of financial planning, if you will, and having some of that instilled into you, which didn't make sense then, but would make sense later on. I graduated from the University of Delaware in 1996, and I remember wearing a beautiful blue gown and blue hat and all excited about graduation. And my parents come on the football field right after Maya Angelou delivered her speech. And my dad said to me, he goes, what do you, what do you think you want to do now? And I said, well, dad, I'm going to become a financial advisor and join your firm. And in my dad's very rough Bronx accent and the vernacular that he uses, which I will not use on this call right now, he basically told me there was no bleeping way I was joining his firm. And that if I wanted to be in this industry, I had to earn it. Mm-hmm. And as angry as I was, as pissed off as I was, and every picture of me as a snarl on the face at graduation, he was teaching me one of the greatest lessons in life. And that lesson was uh, there's no free lunches right. if you want to go out and earn it. So I decided to go get licensed in our industry and started to become something called a wholesaler. And when I became a wholesaler, I was working for a company called Golden American Life, which became ING. And I was taking the practices that my father taught me into wholesaling. He taught me three basic lessons. One, if you don't believe in the product, if you or a family member won't own it, don't sell it. You lose the battle to win the war. It's about building relationships. Number two is always be honest. 
always honesty, will always travel and earn you respect down the road. And number three was always think about the end user. It's not about the financial advisor. It's about the client. Now, my father was not some DOL proponent uh, you know, 23, 24 years ago. It was about that if there's an issue with a client, they're not going to call the company or the wholesaler. They're going to call the advisor. My dad said, if you take those three things with your work ethic, great things are going to happen. And I did. I, I decided the, there would be a fourth component too, Dave, and that's saying that everything you preach, you practice. Be the shoemaker as kids have shoes. Everything you talk about, you do. And you can look people in the face and let them know you're not just giving them a strategy you believe in. You're giving them something that you practice as well. And I took that to my job. And I started off finding my craft. And I remember my dad said we could speak in three, four years. And, you know, if I'm good at this, maybe I could join his firm. And by 2001, I was the number one guy in my company. And by 2002, I was the number one person in our industry. And I remember my father calling me. And he said, hey, I think we should talk. I go, what's going on? He goes, you're proving your assault. We should talk about you joining my firm. And I said, Dad, you can no longer afford me. And that's when I, uh, I realized I found my craft. I found my passion, which was wholesaling in the financial services industry. And I've been doing that since pretty much 1997. Well, I actually remember when you left Connecticut and moved to New Jersey, and you were probably the – hardest working wholesaler out there and, and <laughs> you, wait, but you hear it for, but 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 you know we we you didn't cover our, our our territory anymore but but at the end of the day it had really garnered a lot of respect in the entire industry because uh oh, thank you. you know folks uh folks always uh, pointed to you and when you said you were top of the field you really were and that's uh that's that's really awesome I really appreciate that, Dave, and that means a lot, and that's the impact you leave on people through honesty and integrity, I believe, and I know we'll, we'll get deeper into that, but that's how people are connected, through realness and purity, and you learn these lessons as you go through life, but the more you, the more you build a connection based, on, based off something that's true and something that has value to it, that's when we build you know, relationships forever, not just for short periods of time or based off products. And I think this is a good example because we get to connect after 20 years, which is pretty cool. So obviously it made a big yeah. impact on us. And, and you know, it's the same with me. I mean, I, I started in this industry with, with nothing but just hard work. And, and, and it, wasn't, it wasn't our looks that got us to where we are, right? I mean, in Not S for me, that's well, for sure. In S Not for me. In SJ's, in SJ's case it was, but for the rest of us it wasn't. Of right? course. <laughs> I, I like his values, though. That's amazing, especially if you won't, you know, sell a product that you don't believe in, that you wouldn't sell or, you know, host for a family member. That's just really amazing values to hear directly from a wholesaler. Well, I, I think, if I think unfortunately, our, our, our business has changed dramatically, and unfortunately, most people don't change. They stay antiquated and archaic. I remember when I first started in this business, little things I took notice of. Back then, when I would look at a Morningstar report, which you didn't email or anything along those lines because we were in a different technology age, I remember there was a box on Morningstar reports that anybody who's been in this business for 20-plus years will remember about fund managers. Is their own money in the investment? And I remember being shown this going, well, why would I put money in something that someone's managing if they don't even believe in it, if they're not doing it themselves? And later on, that lesson would make much more sense to me as I went through some difficult times. But there's little things you look at and go, how much does it really mean to you? What is your belief in something? Not, there's all things that we have to position and we try to facilitate the people in their best interest. But what we realize is that when you share a connection through a real story, something where you hit them in the heartstrings of why you would do it and it's something that you do for your family, you're not selling, you're solving. We got to get ourselves out of the selling environment and provide solutions and strategies instead of products. 
Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I think that change, that's another thing as I look at this industry and having done it since 1986, I think that, I think a lot of advisors aren't ready for the change. And I think that that change, uh, and I, and I kind of go back over history and look at the change of our industry. I think we're, we're now faced with a time of rapid, rapid, rapid change. We've got a third of our advisors yeah. that are going to retire in the next 10 years. But but I think also the internet, technology, industry consolidation, all that has just been ripe with change. I, I, I not only agree with you on that, if you really think about the job, I, I believe the day of the financial advisor is, is actually dead. And I, I love when I travel all over the country and I say that comment. And when I'm speaking in front of advisors, they give me an odd look. The average person equates the term advisor with the term investment. They don't need us for investments. I can go on Fidelity and buy the S&P 500 for free with no transaction costs. Right. I could do a robo-advisor. I can go on Charles Schwab for two basis points. What they need us for is to be there when things are bad, to give people good news at the deepest and darkest of times, to give a family a semblance of positivity when they need it. Our job is to give people the ability to know that the power of attorney is done, the will is done. We're no longer financial advisors. We're family life coaches. And that also ensures we maintain multi-generational assets. And anybody looking at it in the antiquated way, they're going to lose those assets as they transfer from one generation to the next because they're not built off relationship and trust. They're built off product sales. Yeah, and I think that's another thing that for advisors that, that, are, that are older advisors that have been doing this forever, I, I, I don't think they're, they're, they're prepped for that change. I think that change, I, I completely agree. I think that the, the solo advisor is under a lot of pressure, and then also I think the industry is under pressure to deliver value in, in other places. I, you know, I travel a ton, and I, I, I look, uh, I, I always say one of the things that I expect to get in a hotel is a bed, and if there's not a bed there, I'll be pretty surprised. And I think when someone comes to an advisor where they equate those investments, they expect to get that investment expertise, but that's not good enough anymore. They got to get a lot more. Yeah, absolutely. And they, and they have to take away from the perspective of I'm going to manage your investment portfolio. It has to be more, I'm in the position to provide some positivity when it's needed. And then let me give you a point on this. I think you'll like everything I ever practiced, I preached. I remember right before my first son was born, I was doing tough mutters, running races, fitness is a big passion for me and my wife. And my father said to me, he goes, you know, first child's coming. I go, yeah. He goes, do you practice everything you preach? I go, absolutely. He goes, what do you say every day? Our job is to be there when things are bad. Our job is to give people good news when they need it the most. Our job is to give a semblance of hope during difficult times to elite, to allow us to focus on the fight at hand and not on regret and resentment and negativity. He goes, do you do that? I go, yeah. He goes, well, you're about to have a kid. Did you do your will? Did you do your power of attorney? Have you really done your life insurance planning? I was like, Dad, I'm in beast mode, man. I just, tough mother. Like I said, he goes, are you practicing everything you preach? And over the next two weeks, I went, you're right. And I did everything. I didn't think I needed to, but I was taking on more responsibility, Dave. And to take on more responsibility, I had to adjust the plan that was in place. That was 2007. 2013, I was laying in a hospital after being diagnosed with, with brain cancer. And I vividly remember my wife saying that my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, and my parents were coming to the hospital. And I know what that means. My father-in-law was fighting pancreatic cancer. My wife was spending time with him. And now her husband had brain cancer as well, too. And, 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 and tell us, Matt, tell us how, how, you, how you found out about that, because that's a pretty incredible story. Yeah, so 
I got in a car accident, and I'll get back to the end of that. I, mean, I, got, I got in a car accident in 2013. My father-in-law was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in 2010. My wife was pregnant with our third child. We had two children under three years old. And what I saw was inspirational. She made it her full-time job to drive him every day back and forth to the University of Pennsylvania for a Whipple procedure, chemo, radiation. She took care of the two kids. She was pregnant with the third. It was inspiring to watch these two warriors just take on this challenge and just be there for each other. And as this was going on, our third child was born. And in 2013, Larry, who's my father-in-law, is going through chemo and radiation continually as his roller coaster went up and down. And I got in a car accident and started to have brutal headaches after that car accident. And I don't know where they came from. I figured I must have banged my head. The airbag went off. I, I just didn't remember it. And in May of 2013, I was giving a speech in Parsippany, New Jersey, my hometown, a town we talked about earlier. And for the 11th time when I went to make a point, a slur and gurgle just poured out of my mouth. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know what was going on. And I thought I was having a stroke for the 11th time. And I decided I need to go to the hospital right then and there. I've had them pretty much since February to May. Every couple of weeks, I would have one. I would feel a hot flash hit me. My wife was down with my father-in-law at the University of Pennsylvania going through radiation. I called her up. She met me at the hospital called Capital Health in Hopewell, New Jersey. We get down there. The doctor asks what's going on. I've been having all these strokes. I've had massive head pain. I'm assuming this car accident. Probably banged my head and don't remember it. And they gave me all these tests. And they told me eight hours later, I had to do another MRI and MRA with contrast. So my wife looks at me and goes, I'm going to go home three o'clock in the morning. I'm going to make lunch for our kids that are all under five. I'm going to get my dad a ride to chemo and I'll be back in an hour. So they're going to bring me down to the tube to get this other MRI and MRI. And they bring a wheelchair and they go, Mr. Newman, you got to get in the wheelchair. I go, I don't need to get in the wheelchair. I just did a 10 mile run the other day. I'm good. They go, it's liability. You got to get in the wheelchair. Yikes. So I get in the wheelchair, and a woman grabs a clipboard from behind me and goes, All right, Mr. Newman, MRI, MRA with contrast. We need to see how big your brain tumor is. And that was the moment at 39 I was diagnosed with brain cancer. Huh. And they brought me down there, and my head was all over the place. I was in the tube for an hour and a half. They pulled me out, attached me to about 30 different machines. I just started to cry. I started to have retrospective on my life. And I started to realize that there's something I must have done to have caused this. And I started to think about myself as a father and as a husband and as a son. And strength is not how big your arms are. Strength is not how much you bench press. Strength is something that's located deep down in our bellies that at the deepest and darkest of times, we can grab it, we can find it, we can own it. I didn't know I had opportunity for that. I saw it, I grabbed it, and I just started cursing my brains out. And the nurses who still tell the story to this day come running in, oh, my God, are you okay? I was like, I'm okay. That was my pity party. If I was going down, I was going down swinging. And that next morning, my wife walks in, wiping her eyes. Now she's got her dad died of pancreatic cancer. She's got her husband with brain cancer. We've got three kids under five. And she looks at and the doctor says, let me tell you what we're going to do. I said, let me tell you what you're going to do. You're going to get this crap out of my head, and I'm going to take care of the rest. If I'm going down, I'm going down swinging hard. And that's when he showed me a study from the American Medical Association on attitude. There's some diseases that are going to take us physically. Uh, there's just nothing we can do. They will never take us spiritually, and they will never define our legacies unless we allow them to. We own that. But if we have the opportunity to beat a disease physically, how important attitude is. 
And all that did is pour gasoline on my fire that let's go, let's do this. And as he walks out of the room, my wife looks at me to go back what we were saying a moment ago. And she says, uh, our parents are on the way here. I realized at that moment that her father was not my father-in-law. He was my cancer partner. Things were happening for a reason. I no longer believed in irony. He was there to show me how to have dignity, how to fight, how to be a warrior, not to bitch, not to complain, but just take on the challenge at hand. And she told me my parents were coming. So I told her to give me the iPad. She goes, they'll be here in 20 minutes. You know, you want to watch a movie? I'm like, just give me the iPad, hon. That was the moment I realized I needed to take care of my own stuff. First thing I pulled up on my iPad was my will. And I realized my will was all done. The only thing that wasn't on there was my daughter, Lola, my youngest. But for those of us that really understand comprehensive financial planning, she didn't have to be. Everything was funneled through my wife. I pulled up all my life insurance, all done. All the college planning, all done. My power of attorney, my eyelids, my life insurance trust. And it was at that given moment that I realized every speech I ever gave was actually about me. I just didn't know it yet. Everything I ever talked about, I did. And what that allowed me to do was focus on the fight at hand because everything else was taken care of. I want you to imagine, Dave, that my dad wasn't my financial advisor. I would have turned to my family and said, if something happens to me, you go to Dave. Our job is to be there when things are bad. Our job is to connect with people. The day of giving golf balls out is over. It's now about connecting. It's about sharing stories of realness that hit people in the heartstrings and make them want to buy you and your belief and your leadership. And that all of a sudden made instant sense to me that this all happened for a reason. So, so how was that recovery process for you? You know, it's funny. I, I'm, I, I was very into fitness. Like I mentioned. We hear every company, I don't care if it's a mutual fund, annuity, life insurance, all they do is talk about health and wealth and wealth and health. And, you know, you see 80-year-old people doing push-ups on all of our brochures. I absolutely believe that being in shape and eating healthy helped me drastically. I got operated on on a Friday. I had a full craniotomy that cut half my head off. They had to pull my jaw back and take the tumor out. I wouldn't know for 10 days the severity of that tumor. That happened on Friday. I went home on Sunday, and I 100% attribute that to, to being in good shape. What's interesting is I could tell you that being home is where the heart is. And when we pulled up in front of my house, and I had a second head, and seeing my kids holding a little sign saying, we love you, Daddy, my perspective started to change. I saw life through new lenses. I was getting a gift from cancer that I was going to keep and never give back. Regardless of what happened in the future, I was understanding about living in the now, living in the moment and appreciating that moment. But what I also started to have a better understanding of was the costs. It's extremely expensive to be in a hospital, especially when you're connected to all these machines and getting all these tests. The better shape that we're in, the more we concentrate on wealth and health, the quicker we'll get out of these places and alleviate a lot of costs. And that was something I talked about, but all of a sudden I became the person I was talking about. It was very surreal. Well, plus the attitude. I, 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 I sat next to a, uh, a gentleman yesterday at a veteran's uh, breakfast, and, and one of the things that, uh, that he said is, is his wife is, and both of them are in the process of a massive diet, 900 calories a day, so that he can get down to a weight where they'll actually do a knee replacement because they're both overweight. They won't even do the knee replacement until they lose the weight. So part, part of it is you started in great shape, plus the attitude is just incredible. You've always had a, a, just a driven attitude. I'm sure that really helped through the whole process. 
Oh, I pre- you know, Dave, I'll tell you the other thing, too, is that you really learn these at, the, at these difficult times of, like, what, what, what's really fight. I learned what strength was. Strength's not how big you are. Strength's not how much you bench press. Strength is something that at these, these brutal times, you're defining you. You're defining your legacy. And I believe in our financial advising community, change does two things. Change breeds complacency or change breeds opportunity. To not change and talk less about investments and more about family, aspirations, dreams, protection, and then we fill in the boxes of what people need, I believe that advisor will not be in this business in the near future because that's what people are looking for. They're looking for leadership and trust, something they could pass that off on to who will take care of things for them when things are bad. Matt, that's that's incredible just to hear your entire story from start to finish, me being the first time that I've heard the full story. And uh, one thing about me is I'm pretty meticulous. And But during these podcasts, I really like things to be off the cuff. But Dave's laughing at me from across the table because I'm just sitting here and I'm just jotting down notes, quotes, <laughs> things that you've done, things that I'd like to remember. So, And I think it's amazing that you've put a lot of it into the book that you put out um, starting at the finish line, which I just think is a great title as well. I think that oh, there's so many things about your story that can be tied back to, like you said, like you didn't know that you'd be speaking about yourself for the for the entire time that you've been making these speeches and these and these talks. So where do you think that if you could give advice to someone who was in a similar position that was having a little bit of a difficult time, maybe getting through to people from a wholesaler's perspective and in the financial industry that, you know, how, how do you put forth that you really care that you genuinely you know, have put a part of yourself into what you what you preach and what products you invest in and, you know, the way that you plan. So I think, one, if you're using a financial advisor, you're buying them and you're buying their beliefs. I understand we're all going to look through certain things and we're going to try to have a better understanding of the products. But many of the majority of people, they just buy you. They buy, they, they buy your taking them to a place that gives them protection, preservation, and allows them to be comfortable and not be overwhelmed by something they're not, they are not they don't know a lot about. And to be fair, I blame the U.S. education system on that. And in one of my TED Talks, I t- pointed out the fact that the goal of the education system is to get people to the real world. Some people, after high school, they start their families, they get jobs. Some go to college, then they start their families, they get jobs. Some go to grad school, law school, medical school. We teach nothing about employee benefits. We teach them nothing about what a 401k is. We're, we're not there to teach them money management, but the basics of money so they can make proper decisions in advance of the negative, I believe is a major flaw in the education system. And they should take responsibility for someone unlike me who was born into this industry, who was given this gift of the proper things to do and actually followed through. They just don't know. And they might have done that. So the one thing I point out is I believe the day of giving golf balls is over. And let me explain what I mean by that. When was the last time any financial advisor, wholesaler, I don't care who, I don't care if you're selling widgets, you gave someone golf balls and they wrote you a handwritten note that says this, SJ, I cannot tell you how much those golf balls mean to me. Every time I look at them, they make me smile. They make me think of you and your leadership. When I see the symbol of your firm on it, I get so excited. When I lose those golf balls, I'm going to look for nine hours in the woods to make sure I never lose them because they mean so much to me. When was the last time anybody got a thank you note? It's about – it doesn't happen. It's archaic. It's connection. And when I wrote my book, I wrote it for myself. 
I wrote it as a catharsis because writing became my catharsis to deal with the anxiety and the negativity and the fear that I would push down into my belly where everybody thought I was this overly optimistic person. I was, but you're still going to have that. And writing became my outlet. What I never expected was people in the financial community handing out my book all over the world and giving people for reasons of why they should plan, why they should connect. And what I learned is that if you share stories of realness and honesty, and cancer is like buying a car. Do you ever know you buy a car, you leave the lot, and all of a sudden you see that car everywhere? Well, the reality is the car was always there. You just never noticed it until you had a connection. When I went through cancer, all of a sudden I realized, oh, my God, it's everywhere. It affects every family. This is crazy. My catharsis was to get it off my chest and talk about it for myself. Most people only want to talk about it with someone who's been through it, someone who's been on their path, been on a similar journey. So when I say the golf balls are dead, to give you a long-winded response to your answer essay is that are we connecting through realness? Are we talking about products and financial planning? Are we handing out stories that hit people in the heartstrings, real things to show how something provided value at a difficult time? I did not write it for that reason. I wrote it for me. But I am blown away that in over 15 countries we've been handed out now. And a lot of that has to do with getting people to either know there's other people like you continue to fight or this is why you need to plan in advance. And even though I didn't write it for that, if that's what it's helping people do, fantastic. That makes me feel great because there was no intention on that in any way. Well, that's awesome. I I, uh, I, I guess I'll have to get a copy of the book because I know I'm not going to get any golf balls from you, huh? <laughs> No, we don't do that. <laughs> I've got it up right here. I got it ready in, in your Amazon card. Oh, perfect. Don't worry. I can check out right now. <laughs> yeah, you can check it out. Well, listen, Matt, thank you very much for spending some time with us today. It is uh, great to reconnect, and uh, thanks for the friendship and the partnership over the years. And I, I really appreciate your uh, sharing your story today. Yeah, the honor was all mine. And it was so great to do this. And it's more along that perspective, you know, that change and opportunity where things things happen for a reason, Dave. And I know things happened a long time ago, so we can do this. Thank you, SJ, so much for having me. You're the best. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Okay, guys, take care.